Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back for another thrilling episode of Maker Skills. We decided to get a little earthy this week, talking about leatherworking as a skill. Tanda, what skill class is leatherworking? Leatherworking is a skill class four. Yeah, the four. Like the B4. No, maybe not. Anyway, Tom, uh, what did you find in your research on leatherworking? I found something interesting. I I always liked samurai garb. And it always, like, there's plate and stuff like that, but it always looked kind of leathery. And I always liked that look. I used to do, like, samurai helmet origami. It was, like, the only origami I ever memorized. But... I googled it today. I wanted to look up leather armor. And the first thing I saw was that leather armor is BS. And it never really existed the way that video games and movies depict it. Uh, Now, this is coming from one source, so I'm happy to be wrong about this. But there was certainly leather in armor. But it was usually layered, you know, depending on the century, it was layered with uh, metal plates or it was used as like the thing that the metal pieces hung on, or it was used it was used a ver- variety of ways. But the guys like you can basically anything with a pointy end will go right through most leather. The only thing that kind of resembles it was uh, I think it's a French term, but it's basically boiled leather, where the best. The best uh, thing I can think of is like a shin guard for for soccer, like a hard shell thing that's formed around a body part. And uh, that was uh, boiled leather. It was basically rawhide that was boiled. I don't know the entire process, but I found that really interesting that what I would think of as a leather armor suit of armor didn't truly exist. So... Throughout my research, what I found is if you heat up leather, boil, you boil leather in water, it removes a lot of the things that keep it pliable. <clears throat> and that what was specifically referenced where I looked was Roman armor, like where they had the, uh, the bodice. And so it, it becomes very hard, like rock hard. That's interesting. So uh, in a way, like the boiling it actually takes out whatever is in there and then the water replaces it potentially and then dries out and therefore hardens no no the the Ugh, the, the water else. the water washes out the thing that makes it pliable yeah, that's what i said it doesn't none replace it 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 removes it sure yeah yeah okay <laughs> tanda well i can tell you if you just take a raw cowhide and just hang it on a fence for a year it it gets really really hard it uh you know, if it just evaporates and dries out, it is like a rock. But uh, yeah, I did uh, uh, research, and I know that uh, PJ always does his homework. And uh, you know, unlike Tom and I, who are the seniors who have kind of just checked out for the year, but uh, so I tried to go back even further than PJ to kind of one up him, and hopefully, I've gone back far enough. But uh, according to some websites. And what some people are saying, and I don't know, you know, this to be true, but uh, 
they found some hieroglyphics from Gobekli Tepe that show that cows were actually made of polypropylene at one time, and that then there was this big movement to actually make things more natural. And, you know, this was probably 10,000 years ago, so it's difficult to prove and to ferret out of all the hieroglyphics and stuff, but there was this time when they started going from the polypropylene-skinned cows to a push for these natural cows that were made from leather that we still have today. I can't believe you stole that right out from under me. (laughs) You must have seen the same website. Well, that was the first one I clicked on, but then I was like, no, this looks like something Tanda would read. So I I kept looking. Um, Well, I'm glad you kept looking because you probably have something, you know, well. that may so, even merit, you know, being true. I, I've got some. I've got some stuff that has been fact checked, and I've got some stuff that is definitely more along the lines of hearsay. Um, let's let's let's. Well, I guess we should start with the hearsay, since you know that's kind of where we're at. Um, apparently, no, 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 no. Uh, I changed my mind. We've got to do the facts first, and then go to the hearsay. Otherwise, it's just uh, it's not going to make any sense. I was trying to find out when leatherworking first started, and I looked at three different websites, and each one of them had a different date. The oldest one was 3000 BC, then there was 2200 BC, then there was 1300 BC. So pretty much what this says is nobody knows. So there, there was that. Uh, there is—everybody's heard of vegetan leather— it is one of the oldest forms of leather tanning. And basically what it means is it's there's the process use it uses vegetable matter like tree bark in order to tan the leather. And it's taking tannins that are in the tree bark or other such medium and replacing it in the leather to keep it pliable. So if you if you don't do that, if you don't replace the tannins in the le- you don't replace the the substances in the leather, uh, what happens is it will putrefy, which basically means it rots. So you need to put something in there to keep it pliable. In more recent years, uh, there have been a lot of newer methods employed, such as chromium tanned leather, because they were trying to make leather faster. So they started using chromium, which chromium sulfate, chromium salts, things like that. But then uh, we get into the more interesting things like brain tanned leather, which you'd think that that would be tanned by smart people, but no, they're taking cow brains or deer brains or buffalo brains, and they're actually tanning the leather with brains, which I found sort of disgusting and interesting at the same time. Uh, then there was aluminum tanned leather, which sounds a little bit healthier than brain tanned leather, I think. Uh, and then there was another one that I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to say it. But there's there's another one. Just just trust me on that. So there's a lot of different ways to tan leather. Uh, I looked up uh, interesting facts, like leather facts. There were no superstitions that I saw, but uh, the first leather shoe... Uh, made with a shoelace and holes was invented in 1790. So 
prior to that, I guess they were just uh, gluing the shoes on. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they were attaching them. Golf balls used to be made out of leather stuffed with feathers. They, I, I don't know. I don't know where that one goes. The leather industry generates $53.8 billion worldwide each year. Yeah. Nothing. You guys got nothing on that, huh? No. Okay. In 2007, 23 billion square feet of leather was produced. That's enough to cover a really big cow. At, at least two cows, I think. At one point in England, handmade leather mugs were popular in the 16th century. Hmm. I, I think there's going to be a lot of leaky drinks, in my opinion, on that. No, I think you could, I mean, you could form leather into a cup. You wouldn't have to have a seam in it. You could form it into a cup and it would work okay. Well, these were mugs though, not cups, mugs. They were big. It's like you, I don't know. I have well, a hard time thinking of that, but. You just use a bigger cow. This stretches quite a bit. So the weirdest fact that I found is that leather was once used as a very stylish wallpaper. Didn't know that. They still put animal animal thing skins on on walls for wallpaper is so random i have a friend that was a um worked for an interior designer in in new york city and they went to replace the thermostat with one of the new nest thermostats and the and the pro uh the footprint was smaller than the old thermostat and it had like i don't know donkey skin on this entire wall and they couldn't just come up with a remedy to fix that spot they had to replace the entire wall wow that's that's something. Yeah, that's a little wasteful. So this brings me to um, the hearsay. Uh, I wasn't really, since I couldn't find an accurate date on when leatherworking was started, I started a deep dive. And I found this website that basically said uh, leatherworking started about 7,000 years ago um, by the Redsmith. And the Redsmith has been reincarnating himself for the past 7,000 years to keep doing leatherwork every time he comes back. I don't know how accurate this is because the redsmith I know does do leather work, but he doesn't seem like he's 7,000 years old. I mean, you know, that's that's just me. Uh, there are the swords and the and stuff associated. I think that it could I think it could be true. I mean, I've met him and and I think it uh, it it could be true. Plausible. It's possible. Very wise. Yeah. Yeah. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. I've got a monster dealer's corner, but before I get to mine, we had someone write in and give us their dealer's corner. Tom, you know this guy. Who, Seth? Mm-hmm. Never heard of him. Well, do you want to read his deal for, you know, the listeners? Yeah. Uh, so Seth Williams, um, check him out on Instagram. Well, just look up Seth Williams. And he wrote in uh, my deal. I bought a 1950s South Bend lathe. It's a 9A uh, with a heavy metal uh, table and and a, and a bunch of tooling for 650 bucks. Uh, it also came with some parts for an Atlas lathe, which he actually sold those parts for the Atlas lathe. There were some change-out gears. There was a... Uh, I want to call it a tool post grinder, but it was like, it was a, it was like a little grinder for 
for like grinding a part of a motor, not the commutator. I'm trying to think what part, but totally useless to him. He sold those parts on eBay for $425 or so to recoup that 650. And I know for a fact that he has even a few more parts that he can sell to basically recoup, recoup the cost of everything. But it is a sweet lathe. Uh, he sent me he sent me the link to Facebook Marketplace. I said buy it immediately. You could just see that there was buckets of things, and that's always a good sign. Uh, but he got a great deal on that lathe, and it's a, it's an it's an amazing lathe. It's the same lathe as mine, believe it or not. Uh, mine's probably twenty years older than his, though. That does sound like an awesome deal. Yeah, very good. I love a deal where you can you buy something you need and you can recoup the cost by selling off the stuff you don't. I am still looking for that lathe that has buckets of stuff that I can't put anywhere, but I'm still looking for it. Yeah. So. No, that's that's definitely uh, definitely a goal, and I'm hoping that some of the stuff I bought most recently of these machinist tools that are duplicates of even duplicates that I bought the same day that I can sell off and recoup most of, of my purchase price. Uh, eventually I'll get a lathe. But in the meantime, something happened. So I know that uh, we've had some, some interesting dealer's corners uh, over the last month, but since December started, it's been kind of a barren wasteland where I live. Uh, there's been almost no deals on Facebook Marketplace, and many times I'm checking multiple times a day, and I'm seeing the same things that, like, I see in the morning. I'm seeing the same things at night, so there's no new things. Well, I saw something cool on Sunday. I caught it at 50 minutes. It was an ad for a Delta 14-inch bandsaw and a Walker Turner table saw that was 10-inch for 100 bucks. And I look at this and I immediately knew what was going to happen because it said 100 bucks or best offer. I knew that people were going to be flooding this guy and that they're all going to be making lowball offers. So immediately what I said is, I'll take it. I didn't haggle them or anything because I was also looking at the conditions of the tools and they were rusty. They'd, you know, they'd been sitting around and my immediate feeling was there's more stuff. Like, I could smell the bargain from here. I'm like, there's there's more stuff. I know there's more stuff. And his prices were good, which means he's a motivated seller. So anyway, he replied to me. We arranged a time on the next day, which was Monday, yesterday. And I get there at 1 o'clock. The first thing I see as I'm pulling in is there's a there's a half dumpster right out in front of this gigantic garage. If I had to guess the square footage of the garage, I'd say it's like maybe 30 foot by 30 foot. Like it, it was a huge, huge garage. And it looked like it should have had like two more bays. It only had like one giant bay. And and so this deal is, is I'm deeming this the daddy's double deal. That's what we're going to call this. Because the guy that was selling the stuff was there cleaning out his father's house. His father had moved and hadn't lived at this place in over a year. And I guess just told his son, just like sell everything, just get rid of everything because they sold the house, but there was still stuff in it. So he's there with his best friend, who was his brother-in-law, the guy married his sister, and they're just cleaning stuff out and, you know, selling things off. So they're literally filling up a bobcat with stuff 
from this garage that they don't think is sellable or they don't want to deal with, and they're just dumping it in the dumpster. And I'm like, oh, oh, the stuff, you know. So I'm like, <laughs> so first I've got to get the table saw and the bandsaw. Well, that wasn't there. That was actually around back in like this little sort of like a half barn. It was like a gigantic shed. I don't know. But they, you know, they, they direct me to go back there. And they're like, yeah, everything's for sale. If you want something, just grab it and let us know. Everything's for sale. So then they went back to the front. So I'm in the back by myself, kind of cleaning off the table saw and the bandsaw, getting it ready to get it into the truck. Because it was all, there was like a bunch of like uh, little nutshells and like, you know, obviously the animals that had their run of the place. But I'm looking around and there was boxes of stuff on the floor. Like there was a box with a bunch of pulley wheels in it. I grabbed that. Then I look and there's a box with a bunch of grinder wheels in it and a bunch of other miscellaneous things like a shaper head. I grabbed that. Uh, there was another box. Of st- so like every time there was like a box where it looked like there was interesting stuff, I just grabbed it all. And, I, and then I'm looking and I see there was a bunch of sledgehammers, but there was a bunch of broken sledgehammers. So I'm like, oh, they're not going to want the broken ones. I'll get those for next to nothing. So I grabbed a bunch of broken sledgehammer heads, a bunch of, um, not that the heads are broken, the handles are broken. Uh, there was a bunch of claw hammers. I grabbed those. It was a mini sledge. I grabbed that. And then I look on the counter, this, this workbench, and I see something I've never seen before. A Morse Sterrett cable cutter. Now... This is the Sterrett Tool Company that we all know and love. Apparently, they had made a tool with Morse, the company that makes, I guess, the Morse taper. And I'd never seen one. And I'm looking at this going, oh, I've got to have this. This is like, you know, no, I haven't seen it before. So I put that in the pile. So I had, that, was, that was the bulk of what was in the back. <clears throat> so then I need help getting everything into the truck. I walk to the front, talk to the guys. And they're like, well, do you see anything in here that you want? And they had a pile of tools on the ground. And I'm, I'm looking through it, and I see a worm drive 825 skill saw, which is an eight and a quarter inch blade. And I said, what do you want for the worm saw? And they're like, well, what, you know, what's it worth to you? And I said, listen, I'll be honest with you. I said, I go to auctions all the time. This is like $5, $10 for me. Not trying to insult you, but that's what I pay. The guy's like, how about 10 bucks? I'm like, done. I'll take it for 10 bucks. And then he's like, what about this drill press over here? I go over and I take a look, and I didn't know this came in sizes. He had a Craftsman, 1950s Craftsman benchtop drill press, which I've bought many of in the past, but this one was miniaturized. Like it was, it looked like if you took a regular benchtop drill press and shrunk it by 40%, that's what was there. And I'm like, oh, this is cute. And I'm like, how much you want for this? He goes, how about 20 bucks? And I'm like, yeah, done. I'll take it for 20 bucks. So I'm making a pile. And then he's like, he's like, look around, man, see if there's anything else you want. So I start looking through this drawer full of tools and I find a Rockwell electric hand drill. And I have my hand drill collection and I don't own a Rockwell, but I love Rockwell tools. So I grab it and I plug it in and I just look at him. I'm like, Bill, and he looks at me and I just start clicking the button and nothing's happened. I go, nothing's happened. He goes, yeah, just it's yours. Just take it. So I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to hear. Oh, I forgot to mention when I was uh, the, the the drill press. 
So there was two welder's magnets on top of the drill press plus some kind of round magnet. Uh, there was one of those T-slot vice grips for like clamping something to a table. That was on top of it. It was mounted to a metal table. So I needed to unmount it. So I found just randomly on the ground, I found a craftsman socket wrench with a socket, 15 millimeter socket that I was able to take the nuts off with. I just put that on top of the drill press like it belonged there. And then right next to it, there's an Eagle oiler. And I picked it up and I said, I said, hey, Bill, this this oiler goes with the drill press, right? And I'm, I'm winking at him. He goes, if that's what it takes, yeah, that goes with it. So I'm just like piling everything, like everything I could just put on there. So I'm making the pile. <clears throat> and I said, do you have any vices? And he goes, oh, we sold the big ones yesterday. But there's this one over here. I go and I look over. There's a little square-bodied Wilton that it had a hole drilled through it. It was missing the swivel base. I'm like, ah, this is this is not this is like five bucks. I'm not even really interested. He goes, well, there's some in the basement of the house. And I said, okay. So then the brother-in-law takes me to the basement. And there's a static-bodied reed vise, like a three-inch reed, which is in nice condition. And then um, we're trying to get that loose. And then the brother-in-law, he's like, hey, do you want this? I didn't even see it. There was a tiny one-and-a-half-inch clamp-on Prentice jeweler's vise. That's cool. In, like, mint condition. And, I, and I'm just like, yeah, I'll take that, too. <laughs> sure. So we unbolt. He's like, help me unbolt it and everything. And we take the two vices and then the two of us walk to the back because I need him to help me load everything. So we get everything loaded in there. And then I drive my truck around to the front. I And I, I had the pile of tools near the door that I had already picked out. And I said, hey, Bill, uh, how about for the tools? that Now, so by the way, at this point, we're at $130. That was as much as we had discussed. I had all this stuff in the truck, and I said, including the vices, I said, hey, Bill, how about for everything that's in the truck plus what I got at the door there, 160 And he goes, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, basically, great. like, he was just giving it to me. Like, it was like nothing, you know, because he was he's in the middle of trying to clear everything out. He doesn't want to go and look through my truck. He, he, like, looked from, like, 40 feet away. He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Did, didn't even care. At that point, I'm like, oh, man, I should have took all the sledgehammers that were back there. You know, I should have yeah. took everything. You know, there was I took a come along. There was a little come along. But hanging from the ceiling, there was gigantic tractor sized come alongs. Like they look like they weighed probably 60, 70 pounds each, like these old school. Like and I, they were just hang. There was like five or six of them hanging from the like the joist. I'm like, oh, man, I should have took those, too. So. I had already talked to the guys. I'm like, you don't mind me just dumping it, you know, going in your dumpster out there and just like looking for stuff, right? And they're like, oh man, go ahead, take whatever you want. I dive in there. I find um, an articulate and a vintage articulating light. I find um, one of those little uh, mini parts organizers with all the little trays that's full of screws. I found um, a bunch of uh, plastic bin, like organizer bins for like putting like when you're taking something apart, you put all your parts in there. I found four air-powered paint guns, spray paint guns. One was a gravity feed. The other two were, or three were siphon feeds. Uh, and I sell those. I've sold many of those in the past. Uh, there were, as, as I'm in there, like working my way through stuff, they're bringing things out. 
And then they're just like, they just started asking me, like, do you want this? Like, they brought out like an industrial halogen light, like with a post. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. And um, they had these um, one half inch thick solid rubber mats that were for inside the shop. And they're like, they had two of them. They're like, do you want these? I'm like, oh man, I, I've got rubber mats in my shop. I don't really need those. But then all of a sudden I look and I'm like, Oh, wait a minute, I could use those in my truck bed. Yeah, I'll take those. And they loaded them for me. I didn't even have to touch them. They just threw them in the back of the truck. Uh, there was four or five of those giant wire wheels for a bench grinder. I think two of them were six inch and the other two were eight inch. Uh, I, I picked up so much stuff. Half the stuff that was in my truck came out of the dumpster. And it was just like, Kid in a candy store. Like I was just like just rolling through. I found an entire container full of old vintage locks with keys. Some of I don't know if all of them have keys, but a lot of them were like I think I have three of them. They look like they were blacksmithed padlocks. That's that's how I didn't investigate them, but that's what they look that's like. That's cool. Uh, I found a giant cookie tin, like one of those big holiday, like a gallon, like a like almost like a gallon paint can full of metal hinges, like gate hinges, door hinges, all kinds of hinges. That was just uh, just too much stuff for me to list everything. It was but it was a lot. And you know, basically all for 160 bucks, I was there for two and a half hours with these guys. So it was it was there was a lot. I could have taken more, but the the other stuff that they had there would have cost me money and I was kind of happy with what I had pulled out for the 160 and I didn't really have anything else. That's a killer deal. That is good. And when when you find someone that their alternative is if they don't sell it, they're going to take it to the trash or put it in the dumpster, then that's always good. I can remember cleaning out my dad's shop when we were young and we were told we could take everything that we were going to just throw away to the flea market and whatever we made was our payment for cleaning his shop. Nice. And not to bring anything home. And I remember at the end of the day, we still had this whole tarp of stuff laid out. And this guy had been kind of coming by and eyeing it from a, a couple booths down. And he was like, I'd like to buy some of the stuff. And we said, well, make us an offer for all of it. And he's like, oh, I would insult you. I did, you know, and we're like, no, no, you can't, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're take anything. We'll, you know, accept any, any offer. And we went back and forth for a while. And then he was like, I'll give you five bucks. And we we're like, cool. And we drove off <laughs> because our because we were going to have to load it all back up into the truck and haul it off to the dump, you know, because my dad said, don't, right? bring, don't bring it home. And so, yeah, if you find somebody whose alternative is they've got to throw it away or clean it out, then they're getting paid for you to clean for them. And so that's always, always a good deal. Yep. Awesome. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. Tom. Yeah. I know you're in the hot seat. Yep. It's time for personal history with leatherworking. <clears throat> yep. I worked my way into a leather jacket one time, but only once. I have no experience with leather. The only memory I have is fourth grade art class. We had little strips of leather that I think we were weaving with. I don't, I really don't even remember, but I have never done anything with leather. Nothing. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys have. The challenge is on. Tanda? Yeah, I've done leather. I've done leather working since I was really young. My sisters were in 4-H and they did leather working. 
And so we had the tools. We had the little, you know, tandy leather wooden block of tools, which people have probably seen that has the, the knife in the middle and then, you know, a variety of different uh, bevels and cedars and, you know, shell tools and just different different tools that you would use. So I kind of played with it because they had it and were using it for projects. And then as I got older, my friend and I had our little leather working set up out in our out in our building, and I and I kind of laughed when PJ was talking about uh, kind of a half barn, not a shed, but a half barn, like like there's some scale of this sort of thing. And uh, I was going to call him out on that, and then I realized that growing up we had a building, and a shed, and a barn, and a metal barn, and they were all different uh, different sizes and different shapes, but we had designators for them, but. Uh, I remember my sister winning a a blue ribbon at the fair for a wallet she had made, and she was really embarrassed and wasn't going to enter it because she had laced it inside out. Um, it was really popular to do the lacing. Most people use like a waxed thread now and a and a machine, or they they pull it through. But it was popular at the time to do the the lacing. That's kind of like the split lace, and you you go outside of the leather and wrap it. And then, you know, mm-hmm. go back to lace it. But she had turned the lace. Most of the natural lace has like a really rough side where it was uh, like skived. And then there's a smooth kind of tan side. She had turned the rough side out on all of it. And she was really embarrassed by it. But for whatever reason, I think that made it unique and stand out. And uh, she ended up winning a, a blue ribbon. But we didn't do any really elaborate stuff. I and mean, we did wallets and coasters and it was never a, uh, like from scratch. It was the sort of thing where you bought the kit from Tandy and it already had the outline of the wallet cut and most of the holes were punched for the lace. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't really high skill level. It was mostly just wetting and tooling the leather and following the instructions on the kit. And and I've done some since then that was, you know, go to Tandy and buy a half hide and and do it from scratch. But early days, it was all, you know, just the kits you can get from Tandy, which I think you can still get. Yes, they do still make things. I think Tandy is the largest craft supplier of leather uh, in the United States. I know they have stores in different locations around the world, or at least around the United States. I don't know of any other leather-dedicated stores. I know there are stores that have leather in them, but Tandy is the only company I know that that they're purely a leather-based store, which kind of chimes in nicely with my history of leather. When I was living in Memphis, Tennessee, there was a Tandy leather there. This was the first time I'd ever been to a store that everything was leather-based. And I got my first look at Latigo leather, which is the leather used to make horse saddles. It's super heavy and thick. And I can't remember if that's why I went there because I was looking for leather or if I was just curious. But I'd done, uh, I, I knew how to sew and leather to me just seemed like a heavier version of sewing. That, that was in my mind all it was. I wanted to make a handmade leather journal. And I was not satisfied with the leather journals that were on the market because they all basically look like books. And I didn't want something that looked like a book. 
I wanted something that looked like a 14th century scribe was carrying it around and, you know, he was, you know, bringing messages from the king. That's what I wanted. They didn't have that. Nobody sold that. Everything looked too polished. So I bought a, I think it was like a half hide of cow, like, like it was like a huge, like not the whole cow, but it was, it was a big chunk of latigo leather. It was in this really kind of reddish brown um, color. It was really beautiful. The edges make certain shapes, like the edge of the cow makes the sort of like a silhouette almost. So depending on where you cut it, it would have this kind of sort of raw, almost like a live edge, like, like if we're talking woodworking. And so what I would do is I would line up um, whatever part of it that I thought looked cool, and then I would cut out a long section and I would make the leather journal, it basically like you're making a belt where it all loops back around. So the part that closed was the live edge. So imagine if you had a normal book that's wrapped and it's just like a rectangle. Well, you'd have an extra piece that wrapped up and over and that was the closure and that was the live edge. And based on what the live edge looked like, that's how I would name the journal because I made several of these journals. And like I had one that looked like a, a bear head, so it was called the bear. The one thing that I didn't like about, uh, again, I'm, I'm trying to like re fix all the problems I see with the journals that are out there. The one thing that I didn't like is all of the pages were secured directly in such a way that they would tear. Like eventually, the like if you're carrying this thing around and it's getting tussled a lot, um, the pages were too close to the edge, and they would always eventually tear free from the journal if if this is something that you're taking around with you everywhere and it's not like just kept on a shelf. I decided to remedy those two ways. The first thing I did was the cover made out of the Latigo leather, I had an inch border going all the way around the top and the bottom, so the pages never, ever left outside the cover, so they couldn't be dented. The second thing I did, and to my knowledge, I am the only person to ever do this, I made a floating spine for the paper. So most pages, well, I wouldn't say most, all pages for books are bound together with thread or lace, and then they are um, secured with glue, and then they are glued into the cover, and that's how you make a book. What I did was I took a rectangular strip of leather and I sewed these, the, the pages, which I had this, I got this really great paper called Frankfurt White. It's a German made uh, from a paper mill. Uh, it looks like it's from like the 14th century. It tears very, very rough. Uh, it's got that kind of grain to it. Like it doesn't look like it's not perfectly flat. And you could only buy it in sheets of, I think it was like 48 by 36. Uh, and it was expensive. It was like $12 a sheet. It was, it was, you know, it was heavy duty, thick, thick paper. It was almost like a cardstock. So anyway, I would tear these out into the size that I wanted, and then I would thread them together in sections. And I can't remember what the sections are called, but anyway, I would do it just like you would do a book. But then when it was time to attach it, I would sew them onto a rectangular piece of leather. So imagine you've got like, say like a two inch wide by eight or 10 inches long piece of leather. I would sew them to that, and then that piece of leather I would sew into the actual cover. So what would happen is, as the pages moved, 
the thing that would take the stress would be the floating spine. It wouldn't actually be the pages. So I've never had one where the pages ripped or got damaged or anything. So that was how I made all of my journals. And I still have two. I gave most of them away as gifts to people, but I have my own personal one. I have one that was supposed to go to somebody and never made it there. But that was the majority of like the leatherworking that I did um, other than... Uh, which I already talked about the uh, the cross the three point um, sword bracing system that I'd made for my katana, um, I, and, I've, and I've made a couple of little small leather pouches for like keepsakes and you know stones and stuff like that that you want to keep separated. A lot of that came from uh, shamanism. I used to study shamanism a lot. That was uh, my first kind of toe into the spiritual realm outside of Catholicism, and. I have a lot of those little pouches all over the place full of different kinds of stones and Native American artifacts and things like that. So other than that, I've never used a leather sewing machine. Um, the The collection of leather tools I have is nowhere as near as nice as Tanda's. I would find them like at garage sales or like wherever in, in like a toolbox that somebody had thrown out. You know, like I have probably like 10 stamping tools and I haven't used any of them. Like <laughs> I have them, but I've never stamped anything. So that's, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. My most recent leather working was with my, my friend's little boy who, if you've followed my Instagram, you've probably seen him. He comes to the shop every once in a while. And we, I try to busy him with making something different. And one day we were trying to think of something to something to make and he had just been given a Gerber um, knife. And so we decided we would make a sheath for him. And uh, so we went to the Tandy Leather Store. Our Tandy Leather Store is great. One of the first times I went in there, they were like, I went to check out and they were like, are you a member? Because it's like a 20% discount. And I'm like, oh, I, what do I need to do to be a member? And they're like, well, what's your name? And I told them my name and they wrote it down and they said, okay, you're a member now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh and and gave me a discount uh, and they've just been been really cool but uh so we went and we bought uh i didn't have any leather here at the shop at the time or not any big pieces so we bought a half hide and uh, i let him pick out a stamp for it and then we came back and i plopped him down in front of youtube and i said here watch this video and i sh i had him watch a video of jimmy deresta's making a little knife scabbard for a multi tool and after he got finished watching it then we pretty much proceeded to do the same thing we formed the leather over a block of wood and and stitched it and i have one of the uh china stitchers um but uh, you know we just he just hand hand stitched it in a vise and and it came out really nice, and you know, as as seems to be the case, we were we were dying it as his dad pulled in for him to leave, and and so we were able to complete a, a project in a day, and he left with his uh, handmade knife scabbard, and I think that was some of the light, latest leather working I've done. I stitched a couple things together with my uh, stitcher that were just things that were broken or things that somebody needed repaired, but I haven't done much original leather working in a, in a while. And we made a video of that, which is out there. And my videos aren't that great, but if anyone's interested, uh, we did make a video of making that uh, Gerber knife holder. 
Now that you mentioned Jimmy, um, it just it just reminded me of something. While I was making leather journals, I didn't have anything to make holes for the leather thread. So I actually had my DeWalt drill with drill bits, and I just drilled holes in the leather in order to, so that I could thread it because Latigo leather is like, what is it, like an eighth of an inch or a fourth of an inch? Like it's super thick. You can't punch through it with a, with a needle. Um, but then I saw one of Jimmy's leather videos and I saw him using what I affectionately call the fork, mm -hmm. which is, it's like a multi-tined and, mm -hmm. you know, you can, those, I, I immediately went and I bought a set because you can get, I think I got a set of four uh, with, uh, they're all different amount of tines on the punches. And I think it cost me like $5. Like it was the cheapest thing ever. And um, that was what I used to lay out the uh, the holes for um, the the sword halter. Um, but yeah, it's it's just seeing somebody do like every time you watch a leather making video, it's like you pick up like oh they make a thing for that. They're, like I don't have to <laughs> like I, I'd been doing things like making it so difficult on myself, and then you look at somebody else doing it like oh there's a tool to do that. I, I had no idea. So yeah, that's. That's always yeah, cool. yeah. A lot of specialty tools when it comes to leather working. I've done a fair amount of uh, laser marking of leather as well for little knickknacks and giveaways and stuff. When my kids were in school, we would do, you know, trophies or you know something to commemorate plays or things like that. And oftentimes I would go to the Tandy store and buy one of the, buy some of the shapes. Maybe I didn't even use it as the shape. Like I can remember one where we bought the uh they're like a little bandana wrap like you mm -hmm. would see like boy scouts use or something and they sell that shape with the holes in the side but we laser marked it and then laced it onto something else to make it um kind of like a an old-timey fence post thing to commemorate the play oklahoma and give it out to all the kids that were in the play and uh but the lasers, if you have one of the, even the inexpensive lasers that are readily available for makers these days, do a really good job of marking leather. Looks really neat. Cutting it, not so much. I mean, if you have a powerful one, you can cut leather. It smells horrid. But just to make a mark on it, to make a brand on it, uh, works really well with veg tanned leather. The one thing I will say is, which I kind of already touched on, the tooling for leather work is very inexpensive. There is a super low buy-in if you would like to try leather work. And there's almost like, there's really almost no way to screw it up. You know what I mean? Like if you, you can make a mistake, but even if you make a mistake, you could still like hide it. There's, there's so many different ways to, to change things on leather. It's the, in a way, it's kind of like a very thick pliable Play-Doh where you know it's it's flat you can make a design and the design stays there and there, it's it's one of those things that i think it's pretty much like all ages like you could you could take a four-year-old and teach them to do leather work there's nothing really dangerous for them you know other than maybe like a razor blade um most of the stuff like the tooling and everything is like you give them a tiny little hammer and you let them go to town. It's not that hard. Oh, that's that's exactly how I started. When my sisters were old enough to be, you know, making this stuff for 4-H, they weren't that old, and I'm like eight years younger than them. 
you know, I just took random things. I can remember them being like, that's not what that's for. You know, like, like the older kids always telling the younger kid, you know, that's not what, that's not how you use that. Cause I was taking, you know, something that was made like a bevel where you would, you know, you would cut the leather and then bevel it. And I was just stamping squares out in the middle of the leather, or I was taking a cedar, which is made for doing the, you know, like you would see seeds in the middle of a sunflower and just making rows of dots across the, you know, and I was, I was having a good time. So I don't think that, the, you know, as long as you don't have to follow the rules. So uh, I'll be the new guy here. I, I'm checking out your video uh, that you were just talking about where you made that, uh, the belt, the belt holder for the multi-tool. Yeah. So what tools do you need, must you need? And then also uh, everybody else can go check out that video too, but what leather is that? Like, what did you buy to make that? Like, how would I go buy that? I'll, uh, I'll get down what's left of it and throw a picture up maybe, but it's just a, it's a half height and you know, you would have to have a leather store or Tandy and it's a, uh, so, so what, what thickness? I don't remember the weight. Um, is weight thickness because I don't buy enough leather to know, but usually you buy like it's a certain number of ounces or whatever, but thickness wise, it's probably, I'm going to say it's just, just below maybe eighth of an inch, maybe like, uh, all right. so that's something I don't understand though. I'm like, all right, cows are basically all the same. So why are there different thicknesses? How are they, how are they accomplishing different thicknesses? I, I think that it's it's scraped down from the back of the hide. Maybe this was something that PJ okay. found, but basically, it's if it's cow, then it's you know it's thinned down um, by scraping away the back to get it sure. to be thinner and more more pliable. But there may be other other animals, other kinds of leather that are just naturally thinner. Okay, um, but and then. It was, so a half hide is probably 20, 20 to 30 square feet. It's quite a, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's quite a bit. Is that pretty expensive? Um, that day they were running a sale where, and that's the other thing. If you're just experimenting and you go into a place like Tandy Leather and you just say, hey, I'm just, just learning or I'm just making some stuff for myself, um, they will have different grades as well and it'll be sorted out by by different grades and you'll find a piece maybe you'll find a half hide that's got a big blemish in the middle or a big tear mm-hmm. in it or something and they can't sell that for as much for someone who needs a piece that big like if you're making right. like those stools that Jimmy made recently you want the whole seat mm-hmm. to be a big nice piece but if you're making right. a coaster or you're making a little scabbard or something and you can find a piece that's, you know, 10 or 12 square inches, you're good to go. And if you can find a bunch yeah. of those around that blemish, then you can get that half hide much cheaper. So it wasn't, it's not, the material's not terribly expensive. And if you're just getting started again, you can buy those little packs of round coasters or square pieces or any of those. And you can buy packs of 10 or 20 of them for 10 or 12 bucks. It's pretty inexpensive. And and then it was pretty simple. We you know, it was a matter of wetting the leather, forming it around we just bandsawed out the shape and made a little clamp and wet it, clamped it, let it uh let it dry out for a while. We and it cuts really well with a bandsaw. 
So if you're a woodworker out there, you know, you don't have to be trying to hack it at leather with, uh, you know, some kind of special tool or shear or something like that. Um, right. You can zip right through it with the bandsaw, which is how we cut the pieces down to size. If you pick up a needle and some of the uh, waxed uh, lace while you're there, that's that's also very inexpensive. So it's it's pretty easy to get started and, and experiment. On that note, there are grab bags, or at least there used to be. I don't know if there still are at Tandy, but they have cutoff bags that you can buy for next to nothing. They're they're project bags that you know they made something out of, and then this was what was left over. You can buy those for pennies on the dollar. And the waxed cord, uh, there are, to my knowledge, there's three different sizes. Um, that you can get that in. You can buy like a little Ziploc bag that's got like basically, I don't know, like three feet of cord in it. Uh, then you can buy like a little round spool that almost looks like a fly fisherman's reel. Um, neither one of those to me are high value. What I bought is, if you've ever seen those cardboard cones that uh, industrial seamstresses use for their sewing machines, they have a version of that for the wax thread. I bought one of those probably 25 years ago, and I've barely scratched the surface. Like I've used so many projects with that wax thread, still have like it'll probably die, you know, before mm -hmm. that thing is run empty. So and it cost if you like look at the savings, it was way cheaper to buy the the huge amount than to buy the small amount and run out and then go back and get more. Um, right. I also remember there were a lot of sales in the store that were not listed in the catalogs or online. So if you go mm. to a Tandy store, a lot of times there's stuff that's there that's not advertised. And I'm pretty sure the store I went to had a sale table where one table was discounted um, for whatever reason. Like Tanda said, it had blemishes or whatever, mm -hmm. but like everything on that table was like 50% off. Um, so there's, there's like I said, this is a very inexpensive thing to pick up. There's you know, right? Yeah, you don't need you don't need any power tools really. Yeah, one thing that's not inexpensive at Tandy at least are there uh, are there sewing machines? Are there leather like hand hand pulled stitchers? They're really expensive, and that's why. And I'd kind of seen them every time I had been in a Tandy store. And, you know, really thought it would be a cool tool to have for stitching leather. But just, there was just no way I could justify it for as little leather working as I do. And so when mm -hmm. there was kind of that buzz about the uh, Chinese shoe patcher, you know, import stitchers, I thought, and it's kind of that, you know, that human bias of if you've seen the one that's $1,800 for years and wishes you had it. <laughs> It you know it's easy to spend the hundred and thirty dollars on the one on eBay, or whatever they were hundred and fifty right. or eighty dollars, um, and so I got one right away and and it really wasn't too difficult to get it running. I cleaned it up and you know I kind of had to push some things around and I had to take a file to it and kind of go through the whole um, the whole thread path with uh you know anything that would be would kind of catch on or there was a little bit of a burr or or something like that a little bit of uh um you know scotch bright and clean it up mm -hmm. but as soon as i got it where i felt like it was kind of running smoothly 
um, I put thread in it and started using it, and it's worked just fine. And you know, I may have just got I may have just got lucky because there are I don't know twenty different vendors selling different styles and colors of machines, but mine mine worked out okay. Looks like there's exactly one Tandy leather store in Connecticut, and it's right in the middle in Hartford. So maybe I will check that out one day. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet Dunn at Johnson's Hardware. Are you vegan or vegetarian and tired of using plastic and metal tools that just don't conform to your vegan lifestyle? Well, look no further as we have the vegan drill made out of fruit leather. That's right. You can now drill holes in all kinds of things and don't have to compromise your values. It makes big holes, it makes small holes, it makes all kinds of holes. All you have to do is come on down to Johnson's Hardware and try it out. Take one home. The vegan fruit leather drill comes in four different sizes, from child to senior citizen. For only 400 kale chips, you too can have your very own vegan fruit leather drill. Contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with leatherworking? Uh, sewing, because I don't know how to do either. That makes sense to me. Perfect sense. Tanda? Oh, man, I think that, uh, I think drawing goes well with leatherworking, because I think that uh, a lot of the leatherworking I did as a kid had some really cool graphic components. And many of them were just overlays that were purchased and pieced together. So if you had a particular look you were going for, if you were doing a wallet or whatever, you could kind of pick and choose from these different um, kind of scrolls and flourishes, and, and then you could overlay it. But I think now I would sit down with some kind of drawing program and try to come up with my own overlay to tool onto the leather. So I think if I do any any leather working in the near future, I'll probably sit down and try to come up with some interesting graphics to that you wouldn't normally see on leather because it's traditional to have kind of that that same look. And I don't know how to describe it, but it's kind of the same kind of organic like flowers and and uh, repeated patterns. But I think it would be interesting to maybe like do a patent drawing on leather. You know, find a really interesting thing that would be, might be an interesting tattoo or, you know, interesting drawing and transfer it to leather. I'd, I'd, I'd like a patent leather drawing. That'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. We could make a patent leather jacket. There you go. And it would just have patent art all over it. I like, I like that. that. Yeah, that sounds cool. That, that, we're starting a trend right now patent leather jackets yeah it's it's a jacket of puns Mm -hmm, pretty much so for me i know you guys are not going to see this coming but the skill that i pair with leather work is vintage luggage creation because if you make vintage Mm. luggage you need to use leather as a hinge or as the edging to protect the luggage uh, leather used to be exclusively used in vintage luggage along with basically it was like a wood box and then it was the leather was used to keep it closed or to hinge it or to make a handle. 
So you need to be excellent at leatherwork if you're making high-end vintage luggage. Are you, are you flexing your time travel capabilities? Because wouldn't you have to go back in time to make vintage luggage? I mean, you can't make vintage luggage today. Well, you know, I made a... Yeah, it's just called luggage. I made a 14th century journal out of leather a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's too far of a stretch. But it's not authentic unless you go back to the 14th century to make it. Clearly. Well, when you involve, you know, make the time machine, Tanda. Okay, just make the time. Quit, quit, quit squirreling around. Make the time machine. I'll go back, and then you can come with me. How's that sound? I don't know how we'll get back if I go with you, but we'll try. Well, wouldn't the time machine come with us? I'm not helping you out. I'm not leaving Tom here at the time machine. Well, he'll he'll unplug it. He'll unplug it because it's making noise and it's ruining the podcast or something. He'll forget to plug it back in, and you and I will be stuck in the 14th century wondering why we can't get leather that's made out of leather. Guys, time machines only go back in time. If they went forward in time, they'd be future machines. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not sure that makes sense, because then they would be called past machines. <laughs> Tom lives in an abandoned birdhouse. We can't really rely on anything he says as fact. So, you know. I love that you both thought about that for as long as you did. I hope you don't cut out the pause. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'm not cutting it out now. PJ, PJ will probably add yeah. to the pause in much the same way that uh, Tom doesn't realize that... Uh, PJ adds bleeps to half of Tom's conversation, you know, making him making him look really foul mouthed. I don't believe I've ever cursed on this show. Just for the record, any you've ever heard was not out a curse word. That's not true. You're going to about that entire thing I just said. It's most useless. likely. Yeah, probably what I'm saying, too. <laughs> Rant, Rant requests. All right. We have a rant request from the Instagrams from who knows wants us to talk about collaboration. Yeah, but who who sent it in? That's exactly my question. Who knows? Who knows? Well, you would know. You're looking at the thing right now. Can you tell us who sent it in? Who underscore knows? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Is that Jacob? That's Jacob. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. Do noses have names? <laughs> What's he want? He wants to collaborate, apparently. I, I don't I don't want to collaborate oh. with a nose, but maybe you do, Tom. Yeah, I'm down. What kind of collaboration would that be? Like some kind of now now are we talking about just collaborating in general? I would say so. Or are we ranting about collaborating with someone we don't know? He said collaboration. So to me, that sounds like some kind of organized effort. Yeah. In, in either case, uh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. If I'm going, if somebody's going to work with me, then I want them to be an assistant that just does what they are more or less told. Now, in the reverse role, if I go and work with someone else... I, I am not going to interject. I'm not going to force my ideas. I'm just going to help because my brain doesn't have room for anyone else's brain. And it drives me nuts. That, so basically, Tom is a lackey. That's what it sounds like. It's hard to be 
I'll tell you, I go to my brother to help him, and and yeah. I I would I would that would be impossible for me to not to just not say. Uh, have you considered doing it this way? That I think that would be an impossibility. It's very hard. It is very hard. So I'll go to my brothers, and we have two very very different ways of doing things. He he just recently bought a house near me and redid all of the doors in his house. It was like 26 doors or something crazy. And he did all the trim for all the doors inside and out. And he, (laughs) I'm going to make fun of him because from my perspective, it's ridiculous and nuts, but from his, it's completely sane. He did a spreadsheet with every measurement for every door. And he pre-cut every single piece of wood in his garage before he brought it into the house. Now, I will tell you that that is probably not a good idea for most because you're bound to be wrong about something, but he's not. It's perfect every time. And I I just, I'm like, no, just put the stack of wood in the hallway and I'll just start cutting one piece at a time. So when we go, when I go to help him, I know that I cannot force my brain, like my, my way of thinking into his way of thinking. It doesn't work. So I just ask him, like, what what do you need me to do? He's and and if it's nail this thing in, I'm gonna nail the thing in, and then you can tell me something else to do. Don't tell me to to make the thing because you've already thought about the thing that we're making, and I can't. There's no room for me. I think that's a big part of it. I think if you um, are collaborating with someone and you're both at that same level, or not not level of ability. Um, mm-hmm. but just, you're both just thinking of the idea for the first time, then it works really good. Sure. But if someone has spent a year thinking what they're going to do or planning it and you're just coming to it, then I think that kind of that time that you've had to spend with the idea makes a difference. So if you're just talking to someone and you go, Hey, let's make something. I think that works. Sidebar. Tanda, I, I don't. I don't think you realize this. I think Tom just had a full blown conniption right in front of us. He he, his whole face was getting red. He was rambling. Is, do you think he's okay? Do we need to call someone? That is that what you call a conniption? I've I've never really seen a conniption before, but maybe that was a textbook conniption. Well, I mean, usually there's fire and smoke coming out of the ears, but I mean, it seemed pretty darn close. I mean, usually I see it, you know. I'm from somebody I'm dating, so it's a little more obvious. But you know, it could have. Oh, oh, he's coming back. He's coming. Back. Tom, Tom, are you doing all right, buddy? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm guys. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll be fine. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I uh, I I pretty much tell everybody what to do. So um, as far as a collaboration goes, I mean, I mean, I, I no, I take that back. If I was going to collaborate with somebody, I would just delegate like what I need from them. Like, I need you to do this. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what you use. This is the thing I need. And then when you give me that thing, I'll do my thing. And that's it. So we've been getting these meal kits from uh, a few different places, currently using HelloFresh. And I'll walk into the kitchen if my wife happens to be cooking dinner that night. And I'll go, oh, can I help? And this is exactly what I've been saying. She'll say, okay, can you do step three? I go, no. I go, give me one task. (laughs) So the the one task, the one task is dice the onion. That's what I need. Like, if I'm going to help you, you can't give me a portion of control. You need to just give me a task and I will do that task. And then let's move on. Same thing. I mean, same thing in reverse. That's just, I can't, I can't function 
in that environment where two people are like, uh, just it doesn't work for me. I, I can't I can't do it. Similar to what you're you're saying, Tom, I have the same mental fortitude when it comes to helping someone move. Oh, like if someone's I I okay I've I've owned a truck for pretty much almost my entire adult life, so over thirty years. Every time somebody says, "Can you help me move?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, no problem. I'll help you move." And then inevitably, there's somebody else there that's frustrated because it's going slow or something's happening. And I'm like, "What? What's wrong with you?" Oh, well, blah 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 blah. I'm like, "It's a move, okay? It's it's not going to be any kind of organized business here. Things are going to be slow. Stuff's not going to be packed. You're probably going to drop something. And it's going to break, okay? Just give up your day." And help them move, okay? You know, th- there's there's no master plan here. Just put stuff in the truck, and that's it. Yeah. You know, and so I I completely surrender, like when it's when it's that kind of situation. Um, however, that is completely the opposite of say if we were going to let's say you and I were going to go to a woodworking show and we're going to set up a booth and we're going to sell stuff, okay? Everything has to be highly planned out. What we're taking it has to be in labeled boxes. Everything's got to be organized like that. It's like the complete opposite of moving because we're now going into like a business environment. And the both of us have our, we both made things. So both of our things have to be organized in a certain way. That is, that needs to be very highly processed, which is, like I said, the opposite of moving someone from one house to another house so it just depends on the situation yeah i've 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 tried to i kind of lead from behind sometimes so uh you talked about moving my sister moved not long ago and immediately you know there's four people standing in the empty truck ready to pack the truck so i'm like this is never gonna work you can't have more than one person packing the truck like physically stacking things, putting things in because they have a system going. They know how much every box weighs so that things don't get crushed. So immediately I'm like, Jay, you just stay here. We'll bring everything to you. Like you be the guy that puts it in the truck. He's not qualified more than anybody else. It doesn't matter. But once you isolate the tasks, like he was the guy just cutting the onion. Like that was his, you know, it just works so much smoother. I agree with that. Um, there does need to be at least some form of loose organization as far as whose job is what. Um, I do agree with you there, but like, okay, I have seen uh, this has happened to me in person. I've watched other people try to move things that they don't understand how to move, like large pieces of furniture, stuff that's on the <laughs> second floor, and you know, hilarity ensues. Um, could I have stepped in and said something? I could have, yeah, but they didn't ask me, and it was not my stuff. So you know what? Go right ahead. I- I'm not going to argue with you as you're dropping your couch from the second floor of your house, and then it just gets destroyed in the process. I- I- it's-, it's not my problem. All right, short of someone getting hurt, shutting up is a very that's a level ten skill. That's it's a level oh, yeah. ten skill. Yeah, like <laughs> just. Well, that's that's uh, the free show, you know. You you're donating. Yeah. They're not paying you to help them move. So like, that's that's why you're there. Like, what's gonna happen? That's what I I had. <laughs> listen, I've moved so many things. I can I can move darn near anything that doesn't require a crane. 
uh, I had to get uh, one of my ex-girlfriends wanted this. It was a high back. I think it's called a Queen Victoria chair. I can't remember. It was one of those chairs that has like the uh, the buttons into the back where it's like a, almost looks like a pin cushion, uh, carved legs, carved arms. Really, really nice. Um, but it was like solid wood. It was heavy. Uh, it was on the second floor of this house. And it, it the house had been remodeled and the new doors for the room wouldn't allow the chair to go out. So the only way to go out was there was a set of double doors that went out to a veranda and you could lower it to the ground. And so that was like, that was the only option. So I, I looked at like, this is, you know, it's like, it's two stories up, you know, it's, it's not like you could just grab a rope and just like, you know, oh, I'm just going to lower it down. No, that doesn't work. So I rigged up this system. I have this uh, four inch wide uh, ratcheting toe strap that I've had for, I don't know, forever. It's always in every truck I own. And what I did was I wrapped the chair with a whole bunch of ropes to make like a harness, for like like just like a person, like if you needed to suspend a person. I made a harness out of rope for the chair so it had a center point. And then I put the hook for this toe strap, this ratcheting strap on that. And then the part that was actually supposed to ratchet, I put on the opposite end of the veranda and used it as like um, what? Not a pulley. A winch. A winch. winch. Sort of. Sort of. Not a. Yeah. Not a winch. What's that called? Um, it is like pulley. A pulley. Come along. I'm not thinking of the word here. I feel like I'm giving you very good options here, and you're not taking any of them. Well, it's not a come along because it didn't ratchet. <laughs> block it. Block and tackle. Sort of like a block and tackle. Like you. Snatch you know, block. Like so anyway, it was. I was using that <laughs> to help. <laughs> I was using physics, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So as the chair was going over the side, it's going, you know, like my back is to the chair. The chair is tipping over the side of the veranda, and I've got the strap, and I'm standing right next to the chair. So there was a huge amount of uh, control I had over it, and I literally just lowered it down inch at a time. And the, it, it, like, it touched down like a feather hitting the ground, and it was like there was nothing wrong. Nothing was busted. Nobody got killed. But then I've seen the same thing happen with other people, and they're basically like chucking it off the second story, and then like, oh, it's just going to bounce, right? It's, it's going to be fine. I don't know how we got from collaboration to moving, but uh... I think we don't collaborate well. I think that's what this this proves. We're not collaborators. Yeah, I think there's a difference between intentional collaboration and you're thrown into solving a problem with uh, with a bunch of people, and I think that's probably why we all went to moving is it's a very common scenario where a friend of a friend and and you're moving to a different place and someone from the new place is involved. And it's just a very common scenario where people that are essentially strangers get thrown into a collaboration. And so that's kind of an interesting situation mm -hmm. that you don't usually see because usually a collaboration is, you know, hey, you know, PJ and Tom, let's get together and make something. Not a, uh, I called this guy and he couldn't, but he has a friend, he called him and, and so-and-so's got a truck that I kind of know. And so it's almost strangers trying to collaborate. Right. So, so basically yeah. what you're saying is the collaboration depends on the situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I kind of half jokingly said I had a hard time, um, you know, being able to just stand aside and collaborate. I've been on a lot of teams where 
I wasn't the lead on the team and, and, you know, just had to, to go along and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it takes, uh, it takes the right dynamic and that's an odd situation where you really don't get to choose your collaborators. I have noticed I, I went to youth group, uh, growing up and stuff. And whenever we split off into groups and did stuff, I always found it not easiest to be the leader in the group, but be the guy that like points to someone to be the leader and not literally say that, but no, it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly your group starts to move when someone backs someone else up. Like if somebody has an idea, you go, that's a great idea. Let's talk about that. And it's, 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 you're just like, you immediately double the forces in the group and everybody just starts to climb on board and, and gets moving. It's, um, it's such a better way than trying to pull everyone in your direction. I think I've seen this skill in action. I met Tom at WorkbenchCon at the, <laughs> I think it was the first WorkbenchCon. And, Definitely. Uh, and I probably would have just sat off to the side had it not been for Tom just grabbing me and, say, and going around to everybody that he wanted to meet and saying, have you met Tanda? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I have seen this have skill you met applied. Ted? Yeah. It's so effective, isn't it? For everybody. No, it's not self-serving. I mean, it is, but it's, it's... Yeah, no, it was helpful. It, it was very helpful. I, would, I met lots of people I would not have probably yeah, met. For sure. No, uh, not your, on your behalf, but I same here. Like, I wouldn't have met the people I would have met if I didn't have, you know, if I wasn't bringing people with me or whatever you want to call that. I didn't meet anybody at WorkbenchCon. I I thought I met PJ at WorkbenchCon. I was I was I was sure of it until I actually was talking on him on, to him on the phone about this podcast, and I was like, "Yeah, we've met." And we were on the bus riding back from the convention center at uh, or from the warehouse at WorkbenchCon. He was like, "I didn't go to WorkbenchCon." I was so sure of it, I tried to convince him he had gone to WorkbenchCon. Yeah, that was not me. And we tried to figure out who it was. Because uh, there was there was like a short list, but yeah, and I don't no I don't know if if you're out there and you and you look kind of like PJ, and you went to the first workbench con, then uh, I, I've met you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything you want to say to wrap up the show? I do. I talked about setting up my laser in my basement where I have those little window basement windows, uh, high up. They're like one by two feet, whatever. Uh, and I, and I did. And today I cut a piece of plywood that is the same size as the window, which is like the biggest step in getting this thing permanently installed. So the piece of wood will replace the window. I ordered a dryer vent so that the laser can be exhausted through the dryer vent, through the plywood, and I can easily pop the plywood out and put the window back when I don't want to use it because it's not going to be weather. It's not going to be weather tight and it's very cold. So I'll be able to just pop it in and out very easily, very quickly, like within a minute. So that is sufficient for calling the laser permanently set up. So, so your short and sweet is that you cut a piece of plywood. Yeah, basically that's really, it's 31 inches by 
I didn't measure the other thing. I just put the window on my table saw and moved the fence over. And you're going to keep dragging the, this out. I don't even you? know all the dimensions. Just keep on going. Yeah, with it. Just, yeah, so the piece of plywood I used was in my scrap pile. <laughs> all right, who's next? <laughs> Sidebar Tanda, I don't think Tom understands what the word short means or sweet. We may have to send him a dictionary. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Although, uh, you know, I mean, if you're just cutting one piece of plywood versus, you know, a thousand. It could be short and sweet, just making one window plywood piece. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That would be short and sweet. However, what we just endured, I don't have a name for. Oh, man, he's back. Tom, Tom, did you finish? Was there any more? Well, yeah. No, I'm I'm done. Um, I just wanted to say if, if I went a little long there, I apologize. You can just cut out the last 50 items you bought on Dealer's Corner and we'll be back to even. Are, are you digging on my dealer's corner? My awesome, uh, no. my awesome deal? No, no, it was an awesome deal. The whole reason this no, show I'm just, exists. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, if if we're under a time constraint, maybe there's a little room in your dealer's corner story to chop out. I just, you know, it's an idea. I'm being trying to be helpful. Uh, is the dealer's helpful. corner now going to be renamed Shorty McShorty's Deal? Is that what you're trying to say? Because this is supposed to be like the quick and easy end of the show. That's no, no, this is, this is an example of collaboration. <laughs> We're collaborating. What's wrong? Th- this, is, this is how collaboration works. You get together. PJ wants to do a podcast. You agree to it. And all ideas are welcome. And, and then we do what PJ wants to do. <laughs> yeah, and if there's anything you don't like, you just publicly declare it. Right. And it's all good. <laughs> and, it, and it's good. He's totally okay with that. Yeah. Totally fine. Dissension is fine. Yeah. Tanda, do you have anything you want to add to short and sweet? Uh, I think just a shout out to Dave, um, who dropped off some laptops thinking Tom uh, recorded the podcast here at my shop. Thank you so much. Dave. And was, and was asking for laptops. And so, uh, um, it was, it was good to see my friend Dave and, uh, thanks for dropping off the laptops. I may or may not send parts of them or any of them to Tom. There is that. Uh, and on that note, I'm going to say if you uh, if you do any leatherworking, try to do something small to start, something that's easily making you happy. Don't take on something that's too big. And that's all I got to say about that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. And now for some nonsense. So I heard a rumor that there was a new kind of tissue box on the market. And Tom, you're the one that told me about it. So I I have no idea what you're talking about. You want to explain it to me and Tanda? Well, it's it's really, um, I'd like to make a better tissue box. Oh, you, and you want to make one? I thought there was already one out there. 
No. Well, there are lots of tissue boxes out there. Is this the COVID but, but, spe- that's like specially designed for COVID tissue box? <laughs> sure. Sure. Of course. But the tissue box is, I think it's an ancient invention and I feel like they haven't updated it in centuries. I mean, what about the one that's got the LEDs on it and the speaker built in? Well, that's nice, but that doesn't that doesn't effectively help me blow my nose, right? Well, it helps you find it. I'm not sure what you mean about ancient, because I mean, did they dispense handkerchiefs? Sure, because tissues are really not that old. But uh, was there a way you could just go up and dispense uh, your your own cloth uh, tissue? All right. So let me just point out some flaws to the modern day ancient tissue box, as I've already described. You have you have a hole where the tissues come out. And in that hole is usually some sort of a valve, usually made out of plastic, with some slits in it to to allow the tissue to pass through the hole. And then the next tissue is captured by this plastic valve. All these visual aids are going to play really right, well. Right, right. Uh... Well, that's why I was give you like some... No, but I see I see what you're saying. Um, so we should probably have like a set of rollers, pinch rollers that grab yeah. the tissue and then you don't even have to interact with the box. That's what I'm thinking. You could throw it up like when you're juggling scarves. Exactly. It could just throw up a handful of tissues and as they float back down, you could either grab them or just run into them with your nose. I, I, no, that, that doesn't work for me. I, I, we, need, we need basically like a tissue launcher. We need something that like it's it's angled like at a forty five degree, and as you're approaching it, a motion sensor detects it and just like immediately shoots it right at your face as you're sneezing, so you catch it midair. So you're saying we're not going to get the acceleration with the rollers? We need to add compressed air or something in addition. Well, hold on. Is it going to do this? How does it? If it's motion sensor, it's going to do it every time I walk by. I'm not sneezing every time I walk by. Well, then you pair it with an audio sensor so it listens for a sneeze. Yeah, but the sneeze, the sound of the sneeze is like thunder and lightning. It, the sneeze is the after fact of the projectile. Couldn't we just grind some white pepper and put it in with the, I mean, if we're going to have pneumatics in the system anyway. To cause a sneeze? We could just shoot out a little bit of white pepper and then whether or not you were going to sneeze, then you're going to need a tissue. What if you were just going to wipe your eyes, though? Like if they were teary. Now you got pepper in your eyes. That's a problem. Well, then you're going to need another tissue. I don't think this is going to work. Uh, the, the, the other... See, but... Okay, what before you sneeze, there's that pre-sneeze noise. The... Eh, eh. So as soon as somebody hears that, that, that'd get the, the sneeze to come, you know. I've never made that sound in my entire life. Oh, jeez. Well, you could start. I mean, come on. You got to work with me here. Yeah. So now, you, now I need... I need training to use my new tissue box. Uh, let's let's forget that. How about we just say there's a, there's a word, okay? You just you just say tissue and it just shoots a tissue out. That sounds too much like a sneeze. But but if you're getting ready to sneeze, I mean you can't talk when you're getting ready to sneeze. If you're doing the uh uh you you can't yell tissue. And there are definitely Tom doesn't do that though. Hold hold on. Hold on. Real question quick. Did the word tissue is that derived from Achoo. Did someone think that that's what... Is tissue an onomatopoeia? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Of a sneeze? I don't think so. It would have to... It, it, then it must have been invented by the French because that's like that's like a French sneeze to... Tissue. That, that's not American. <laughs> oh, no, no. You're thinking of touche. Hold on. How do you spell that? 
is how do you spell that? Is there an X in there? Yes. Okay. What's it called when the origin of a word? There's a word for that. Etymology. Yes, thank you. You guys talk for a minute. I'm going to look up the tissue etymology. I can I can vouch for the fact that there are people who do not have a pre-sneeze whatsoever. The guy that I edit patents for has the loudest sneeze I have ever heard with no pre-sneeze. And I jump like a baby panda, if you're familiar with that meme. Or like a, like a mother panda. Maybe we need like some hand signals, you know, like the camera sees you come in, you make a hand signal, it shoots the tissue out. I mean, I think, the, here's my problem. The thing with the rollers, okay, those rollers are going to get dirty and gunked up and, you know, covered with stuff. Yeah. And then whatever's on them is going to be on the tissue. I don't want that touching me. I got it. I've got it. I think this is the solution that we're looking for. It looks like a stick-on mustache. But in fact, it's a humidity sensor. What? Is it Bluetooth? Yeah, Bluetooth humidity sensor. Or, or Wi-Fi. That looks like a stick-on mustache. And you just wear it around, and then when it detects the humidity of your nose running, the tissues start coming out. So it only it only works within 30 feet of your Tom, tissue box? Tom, Tom, stop. No, I want to see this. Tanda, I want to see you with a mustache sensor, okay? That, let's make this thing. Yeah, and then and then the tissues just come shooting out. And, and if you're out of Bluetooth range, then you're within range of another tissue box. You know what? You know what? I think there's a flaw. I don't think humidity is the proper sensor. I think airflow is the proper sensor. And as airflow decreases, your nose is filling up with snot and boogers. And it tells you before you sneeze that you need a tissue. Mm. So we need something that's more like a breathe right, but it plugs into your nose. Something you can stick up your nose with a little... Uh... I, th I like the mustache idea. I mean, I'm pro-mustache, so I it could be something that just detects the, the flow rate of your exhale. Maybe it just has two straws on the top of the mustache that you stick up your nose? Totally. I want to go a different direction. I, I want to get a psychic tissue box that just knows when you're going to sneeze and just provide you with the tissue ahead of time. Well, that's exactly what we just invented, but it's not psychic. It's it's real. No, mine sounds better. Well, we can call it the psychic tissue box. It's for marketing. But if we keep going down that path, we're going to end up with just a mustache made of tissue. Yeah. No, this, this eliminates the need for a mustache. Yeah, basically a mustache made out of tissue with an adhesive that you just stick on there in the morning and you change it out like it's, uh, uh, I have zero comparison because the only one I can think of is inappropriate. You just change it out like a race car driver, you know, like they have the, the face shields and it has like five layers of plastic on it. So when it gets mud and debris on it, you can just rip the last one yeah. off. Yeah. So I like it. instead of dispensing tissues at all, we just yeah. have a mustache tissue dispenser that just keeps the tissue right there absorbing. And if it gets full, you just rip it off and there's another one under it. I, I got it. I got it. I know. I know what it is now. Okay. The, this is, this is the move. We have a chin strap tissue dispenser. So it's literally strapped to your chin all the time. And anytime you need one, you just grab your chin, pull out a tissue, and it's right there at your face already. Eliminates all the trickiness with the electronics. It's it's, l it's literally just like a, let's say a five use. 
It's, it's uh, you know, it'd be, you, you hook it around your ears, just like, you know, everybody's used to wearing masks by now. So you just, you know, you know. I think you're onto something. And I don't think, you know, a year ago, this would have never sold. Yeah. But now people are used to wearing masks. And so it's kind of a dual purpose tissue dispenser, chin strap mask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because most people don't like wearing their masks, so they actually wear it on their chin anyway. So this is basically like the same thing, but it dispenses tissues. Well, there's a problem we should solve. Uh, so you could actually be an anti-masker, but a pro-tissuer. I don't know anybody that's anti-tissue, but yeah. Yeah. There you have it. Oh, they're out there. Are they? Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Have you, have you ever heard the term yeah. farmer spit? Farmer spit? No. It's... Okay. Maybe that's where I'm from. <laughs> Yeah, Tom's Tom's doing the motion right now. So those could those could be anti-tissue. You might know it as a snot rocket. Oh, yes, there you yeah. go. That, yeah, I've I've heard that before. Yeah. I will say in the in the vein of snot rocket, one of my favorite ways to clear my nasal passageways is with your winter glove that has on the back side of the thumb it has that like micro mesh stuff mm -hmm. have you seen gloves like that do you own gloves like that yeah it's for wiping it's your nose for you to yeah it's for wiping your nose and then it freezes so what if we had something like that and i just saw it recently it had those little there's little square like thermo somethings where it'll actually f with electricity it'll like freeze water if you oh there we it go gets a drop yeah. on there so you know what, what we am do? i talking about Tanda? yeah i know exactly and i've got those batteries out of the laptops that dave dropped off yeah so we can make a backpack with lithium batteries to power the peltier device which is what i think you're talking about and we can actually peltier chill device. the snot with the peltier device so that it uh, can just be peeled off in one nice contiguous piece frozen yes and tossed aside for later you're exactly right. I just looked up Peltier device. I'm not going to tell you how I spelt it, but the internet spelt it P-E-L-T-I-E-R device. And it's these little electric pads that basically they can freeze. Uh, it's snot. This is, this is yeah. brilliant. Yeah, they can freeze snot. And then it just flakes off and, and it's all good. I already have those. I think we solved it. I think I think we solved it. I already have those. Oh, man. We're never going to patent it. So PGR already has a Peltier snot freezer. I mean, unless I'm thinking of the wrong thing, that's this thing where it's one side's cold, the other side's hot, isn't it? Yeah. And it creates electricity, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got like 10 of those in a box I've never used. I would like them. Thank you. Well, they could be prototypes then. Tom can use one to chill his CPU and put one under his nose. I was actually going to use it to make a, um, a brand new picnic basket that's dual zoned, hot and cold, so you could have your food hot and keep your drinks cold. That that was the original purpose for it, but uh, I I just I didn't didn't do it, but I I will do it, you know. Yeah, well, I I'm glad that it never happened because this is a much more uh, mainstream application. Yes. Yes, frozen snot is definitely better than a than a picnic basket. I agree with you there. <laughs> that was totally ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>